Hey guys, Dean with the Two Party Podcast. I just wanted to share uh, one of the platforms we use uh, for our podcast. Uh, it's called Anchor. Uh, it is a free platform. They have creation tools that allow you to record, edit uh, your podcast right from your phone or your computer. Um, Anchor will distribute your podcast on all the major platforms, Spotify, Apple, uh, most, most all the platforms that you want to reach, you can, you can reach through Anchor. So I encourage you guys to go check it out. Um, again, it's free and it's called Anchor. Have a great day. everybody. This is Dean with the Two Party Podcast. I'm here with Maxwell Ivy. Uh, he goes by Max. And uh, so I'm going to let him, uh, he, he's got, he's just going to bring us some knowledge. We're going to have a good conversation here, uh, but I'm going to have him introduce himself and uh, just tell us a little bit about himself, a little history, and, and uh, we'll go from there. Hey, Max, how's it going? I'm doing good. How are you doing, Dean? I'm doing great. So, so tell us a little bit about yourself, Max. Right. Yeah. I am a totally blind man who grew up in a family of carnival owners. All I ever wanted to do was to be part of the family business and eventually run my own show someday. Uh, I also knew that I would eventually lose my vision or most of it to retinitis pigmentosa or RP. Uh, but that didn't keep me from being involved in the family business, from graduating from a regular high school and college, from uh, achieving the rank of Eagle Scout. I was blessed to get to work alongside my dad and brothers for over 15 years before his death caused the closure of our small carnival. And then I started my own business helping people sell used rides called the Midway Marketplace. And I had to learn so much stuff in order to do that business. This was 2007, which was before WordPress, Wi-Fi, or Facebook. Right. And, you know, I had to learn how to hand code HTML. Um, I... You know, had to figure out how to recruit clients and set fees and manage media and then eventually how to deal with social media and build an email list and uh, just doing the next thing that came down the line to promote this business and try to support myself and my family. And people said, you know, Max, what you're doing, the way you take on these difficult challenges with joy is very inspiring. We want to hear more of, of what it's like to be an entrepreneur who happens to be blind and that led to the blind blogger. And since the blind blogger started and I've been uh, accepting my role as an inspiration, I've written four self-help books, the latest being the blind bloggers, first speaking and signing adventures, how you can conquer your fears. It's part two of a three-part uh, series on my travels. Uh, I've been on over 250 podcasts, shared my story on stages and at local advocacy groups, sing in public, help other people get exposure by booking them on podcasts. And I started my own show, What's Your Excuse? And uh, it seems like uh, I am always uh, coming upon new opportunities and new challenges. And I think the honest truth is, is I just need to have something to be curious about or distracted by. And, uh, you know, to kind of get to kind of uh, make things easier when, when I'm doing those things that I know I'm good at that I've been doing a while, but you know, just aren't as interesting as the new things. So for those who think I don't have the shiny object syndrome, uh, shiny objects don't just exist in the cash and credit department. Sometimes we, you know, we'll let ourselves get distracted by other things and stop doing what we're good at. So uh, over the years, I've been lucky friends and family and online community people have, uh, have suggested new challenges. And as I tell people often, one of the best things can happen for you 
is to have somebody you trust, somebody that knows you better than anybody else, to have that person double dog dare you to do something that scares the heck out of you. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's true. Um, you know, it's funny you say that. Uh, growing up, I was always the kid, um, and all my friends know this. Uh, a lot of my friends in the audience watch and know this about me. Uh, I was that kid that if you told me it couldn't be done, I was the one that was like kind of a hold my beer. I was the one that if you told me it couldn't be done, I was going to show you how it could be done, even if it was at my own detriment. And so, and most of the time it was. Usually it would be some stupid stunt with a car or a motorcycle, and I'd end up crashing and getting myself injured or something dumb. Yeah. Well, it's a shame this didn't that that didn't happen, you know, more recently because who knows? You could have been an X game star or something. Well, yeah. I mean, I, and I and I did race for uh, I raced Yamaha ATVs and stuff like that. I mean, I, I I've I've kind of been around the block a little bit, but um, but I tell you, uh, 2001. As a matter of fact, I got paralyzed. I was in practice uh, on an ATV um, and, and and broke my neck. Got paralyzed from the waist down in an accident. Um, just kind of playing around, doing some tricks and stuff. And uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm a little familiar with that. But I, I've always been that guy. You know, if you tell me it couldn't be done, I'm going to show you it could be done. <laughs> Yeah, well, I, I have a good friend that I met this spring at a podcasting event. His name is Mark Daniels, and he was uh, paralyzed, I don't know exactly when, in a uh, rollover truck accident. Uh, and, he's, and he's now working with some other cats down in Florida to develop an exoskeleton. And at this conference, he actually stood up and walked with the aid of this exoskeleton. He says they need to develop, develop it a lot more before it'll be something people can use right. in ordinary day, everyday use, he said. But he said, but you know, Max, the first thing he did after he got through with his rehab is he went out to the woods. He said, you know, I've always been the guy who hunts and fishes and kayaks and camps. And he said, I was going to prove to myself I could still do all of that stuff even after being paralyzed. So I can yeah. totally understand it. And, you know, that was actually part of my problem when I first got started is I would look at people like you and Mark. I'd also look at people like Eric Wehamir, who's a blind adventurer who's climbed Everest and the other six summits and recently rafted to Colorado through the Grand Canyon. That's amazing. Yes, yeah, so it's great. That's bonafide crazy. You know, what I do is just crazy compared to what most sighted people will do. But what he did, that's bonafide nuts. Yeah. Um, you know, or, or Rachel Skidoris, who, uh, who's finished the Iditarod a few times, yeah. or, or Tom Sullivan, the blind entertainer, or excuse me, entertainer who happens to be blind because he hears I said it the other way around, he'll <laughs> my ass. But, you know, I would look at people like that and I would think, okay, I'm not doing much of nothing. Those cats are doing crazy stuff. I'm just, you know, I've got a blog, i got a website, you know, eventually I have a podcast. And so I really had to be told, it had to be explained to me that, you know, Max, the reason your story is compelling is you have a perfect excuse to sit at home and do nothing. You know, if you wanted to, sit on the couch and watch TV and eat junk food, nobody would say the first word about it, except maybe one of your family members. <laughs> right. you know, somebody you live with, yeah, they might say that, but the rest of the world wouldn't care. Uh, but there are so many people who don't have a built-in excuse that keeps them from showing up, and yet they still sleepwalk through their days. Uh, they still don't challenge themselves. They don't take action to go after the goals they do have. And because you have an excuse and don't use it, and because other people don't have excuses and don't do anything, that's what makes your story compelling, regardless of whether or not you think you're a big deal. So I'll probably never accept the fact that I, um, I have the effect that I do on people. It'll always be a surprise when people say that. But 
uh, I've come to a conclusion about this whole subject of being inspirational. And what I've decided is, is that, yes, the fact that I, you know, do things that scare me or that are difficult for me is inspiring. I understand that. But if you're going to call me inspiring, tell me what the hell I inspired you to do. Right. Because inspiration without action is meaningless. Mm-hmm. You know, inspiration, if, uh, reading a self-help book and then not doing anything with what you just read, that's entertainment. That's not inspiration. Yes, I would agree. I, better, I gotta remember that line. That was a good one. I gotta that was write a good that one. one down. I, and I would I gotta agree. write that one down. Yeah, you de- you need to. I would agree. Um, you know, it, it's it's interesting. Um, and and you mentioned ha- um what the condition was that that got you that uh, you lost your eyesight to. My my wife suffers from glaucoma. She was diagnosed very young, with, uh, which which was very unusual. But she was diagnosed probably in. I want to say when she was around 28, 27, 28, um, and she's had glaucoma. She's had one, one eye lens replacement. She's had an Ahmed valve put in. Uh, that eye, she is now completely blind in, um, legally blind in. And then her left eye, they just did surgery on and replaced that lens. And so she's now 36, and it, she's, she's now legally blind. And so I, I understand a little bit of what you, kind of what you go through. You know, obviously, it's a different condition, but... Um, uh, it, it's been real hard for her, um, a, a, just being young and yeah. B, um, you know, she, she has very high anxiety and, and depression. And so that kind of, kind of escalates everything into being a little worse for her because, you know, she, she you know, being with her, I, I understand she all, you know, she's, she loves to read. There's a lot of things she loves to do and she's, she's really good at art and stuff. And she knows how in the future that's going to affect her. Um, and just this past year, she's had a lot of downturn with her eyesight. So it's gotten a lot worse in the past year. Um, how, how have you managed to, I mean, with your condition, how have you managed to do the, all the things you do? Right. Well, first off, I want to say that I totally understand what she's going through because a couple of the things that I really miss these days are drawing, coloring, yeah. crossword puzzles, things that really there is no substitute for, but I would like to give her a little bit of encouragement here. There's a company in Austin, Texas, I think, and I don't know the name of it, but um, I will find out or you, you, she can Google it. Um, sure. they've, they've created a process where you can draw with raised line drawings and you can even erase your raised lines and you can have the lines uh, cross over each other. So you can actually do very detailed outline drawings of, of whatever it is that's in your head. Huh. And, and we're also starting to have three-dimensional braille displays where people can get a tactile representation of what something actually looks like. And there's a company in Israel that's pairing these 3D displays with digital cameras so that people can use them for travel mostly, but I could see how it would be very applicable to people who want to maintain their love of, uh, of art, of sculpture, of things like that. So yeah. those are some of the technology that's coming along. And, you know, there's, there's new clinical trials every day on gene therapy. Uh, unfortunately, neither me or nor her are eligible for the electronic computer implants because we both have too much vision. In my case, I've been diagnosed with light perception, but under the FDA rules, uh, they will only do the implants if you've been declared totally blind. So right. I, say to, I say totally blind because it makes conversations simpler. 
but technically I do have light perception, which allows me to see if a light is on or off, if it's a bright light and if I'm looking directly where it's supposed to be. Right. Uh, but those are a couple of things that might encourage her. There's also been a recent uh, 60 minutes story. Well, it's, it was, it was replayed this week. It was recent, like a year or two ago of an architect from San Francisco who lost his vision and is still designing buildings and things. And, and it could have just been for the interview, but I think he was sincere when he claims that he actually has learned more about architecture since he lost his sight than he ever knew beforehand. So those are just some That's things that really might encourage your wife. Yeah. And he might be somebody you want to reach out to get on your show. I've tried to get him on my show and his people told me, no, he didn't, he didn't have, he, he, he didn't have time for, for my show. Guys. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah, but I have the sense you're bigger than I am. Um, well, I, I don't know that if I'm bigger, but you know, at the end of the day, I think we're all about the same. You know, we all, we all just try and, and there's some people that you can't, you know, I, I have a hard time dealing with a lot of publicists. So I, I have a hard time getting through publicists uh to even get interviews you know sometimes sometimes yeah. people are just and, and i don't want to say that some people just kind of get an ego about things but but they do they, they kind of feel like well you know i'm known for this and therefore you're gonna you're gonna have to earn my time on your show well that's part of it i think the other part of it is it's just overwhelm just yep. so much crap you have to do in order to do anything for example I used to disagree with people when they would go, Max, you do so much stuff. There's so much stuff involved in a blog. How do you, how do you do that? Cause I have trouble doing it sighted. And of course I use uh, I use a screen reader on my laptop, uh, tablet and phone. I get help where I can. Uh, sometimes I hire help. Sometimes people volunteer, sometimes friends and family, I can ask them to do stuff for me. Mm -hmm. So I don't do it all myself. And, and a lot of it is technology, but, I think with people, you know, authors, podcasters, people who are well known, that there's just so many demands on their time without publicity that they just want somebody to be the gatekeeper and, you know, keep the 70, 80, 90% of the people away so that when they do say yes, it doesn't feel like they're, they're drowning themselves in things to do. So I will give some yeah. of them the benefit of the doubt, but I have had some of the same problems with publicists. Um, and you know me, I'm known for, for being one of these people who, if you, if I tell people, if you don't ask, they can't say yes. So I ask a lot. Yep. I don't, you got it. I don't get, you have to. Yeah. Yeah. I don't get told no a lot. Surprisingly. I think that's because I send, um, I send authentic, uh, unique, uh, custom e emails to people when I ask them to do stuff for me. It's not like, it's not like three words. Hey, I need you to do X. No, I don't do that. That yeah. doesn't work for never yeah. worked for me. So um, I do a little storytelling. Then I go, well, you know, you'd be perfect. Could you do this for me? And most of the time they say yes. And that's one of the cool things about having a podcast actually is with, with the exception of the super famous, wealthy and super rich. Yeah. Most people, if you ask them to come on your show, they'll go, sure, I'll do that. And I've only had a few cases where they've said no, and I pretty much expected them to say no before I asked, but I asked anyway. Uh, one of my, one of my uh, personal experiences that I think is one of the best lessons I can teach people in this area of asking was when I won the uh, Amtrak Writer in Residence Award in 2016. I used my prize to go to New York during the Christmas and New Year's holidays uh, on a crazy solo trip that I <laughs> people will probably get have already gotten tired of hearing me talk about that story but um when i applied for it i looked at the past winners and i looked at the judges and i said you know max you're not qualified for this there is no way in heck they're going to say yes to 
I, I actually remember thinking to myself, you know, Max, this is like that Sesame Street, so, Street song. Which one of these is not like the other? <laughs> thinking, yeah, you know, you've got people who've had their plays produced on, on in Summerstock. You have people who've won multiple book awards. You have people who their books have been turned into, you know, into short mo uh, yep. movies. And I'm like, man, I've written one book. And, <laughs> and uh, but it was a competition based on writing rather than on social media reach mm -hmm. or on whether or not you were famous. And they said yes. And I was very happy that I submitted. But that's the way it is. A lot of times. We have to, and it's great if you have friends who will do this for you, but, but a lot of times you really have to do things before you're qualified, before yes. you're ready, before you're good enough. Yep. It, it's, you know, I found it, getting into this industry and stuff, what I found is, is it's a lot of times you, you got to step out of your comfort zone. You got to push yourself into doing things that, that normal, you know, the normal average person or even yourself normally wouldn't want to do or wouldn't do uh, prime example. Like we were just talking about, I've reached out to several uh, celebrities and um, you know, and I won't name names cause I'm hoping one day they'll change their mind. But uh, I've literally reached out to a few and caught their managers, got past the publicist to the manager. And they're like, yeah, well, we'd be, we'd love to be on your show. Uh, 10 minutes, thousand dollars. And I'm ah. like, whoa, hey, I'm like, you know, I, I, I was like, you know, we're not at a point where we want to pay $1,000 for a 10 minute interview, but um, maybe in the future that'll change. And, and so I've had several that it's been like $400, $500, $1,000 just to be on the show. And I'm like, you know, I'm not so sure, you know, not to d take away from anybody and, and their achievements, but I'm not so sure I'm willing to pay for somebody's time. If they don't want to genuinely uh, give a personal interview, I'm kind of one of those that's like on to the next one. There, there's a there's a million people in the world that would probably love an opportunity to express their talent or their ideas on a, on a talk show, not just mine, but any show. And I feel yeah. like um, why at this level, why should I be paying? Now, if I was, you know, I had a talk show on TV primetime, maybe I, I'd have the budget for that. Um, but yeah, I've ran into that. And, and sometimes I think, man, why? why would I pay a thousand dollars for, for this guy? And again, I won't name names, but I'm like, you know, I thought of him as kind of a cool celebrity. I thought, man, this guy would be great to have on the show. And then when, when you reach the manager and the manager's like, yeah, a thousand bucks for 10 minutes, I'm like, maybe that guy's not as cool as he looks on TV. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny you're telling this story because I was on a podcast earlier this week. It was my second visit with, or last Friday, it was my second visit with the show in between the show host had needed a guest and he reached out to me and said, Max, I'm doing this show on this subject. Do you know anybody who could come on last minute? I said, I said, sure. I know two or three people who would be perfect. I'm sure one of them will do it. And, uh, I did find him an awesome guest, Lorraine regularly at wordingwell.com, who is the editor of my books and one of my, uh, most amazing friends I've, I've had in my lifetime. Uh, she decided to go on the show and talk about having been raped as a teenager while she was still a virgin. And so her overcoming all of that crap in her life. And she was a perfect guest for the guy. And the guy said something about that to me Friday. I was like, you mean I can charge hosts for delivering ideal guests to them? I never thought about doing that before. Right. I said, I'll be sending you my PayPal link after. I, I said, I'll be sending you my PayPal link after we're through here. Uh, <laughs> Never knew I could charge hosts for guests, but maybe I should think about it because, you know, I do really think about the host. I'm not going to suggest somebody who 
you know, has, is just totally outside of what the host is looking for. And I've actually, as a, as a publicist, I've actually had people uh, post reviews of me that pretty much said that, that, you know, yeah. that Max delivered an ideal guest. And that's what I want to do. I don't, I don't want to make things harder for anybody. I want to make yeah. things easier for them. And that's one of the best things I can teach people when it comes to, comes to being in business, especially online. The, the most valuable thing you can do to generate future business is to solve somebody's present problem. And if you can help them today, if tomorrow they need what you have, I guarantee you, they are going to come back to you to get it. Right. Yeah. The, um, you know, it's interesting, you know, I, I found, you know, a lot of the relationships that I build and that I find are just, are, are literally just that it's from helping somebody or, or even somebody just helping me. And those relationships tend to stick and, and somehow or another, we make a great connection in that way. And, uh, I've met so many amazing people just through, whether it's just through the podcast show um, I've had guests that have, that have reached out to me that, that, that thought they wanted to be on, but then they were like, well, we're not sure what you guys talk about. They, they hear the name two party podcast and they're like, well, we don't want to talk politics. And I'm like, well, we're that's the thing. It's not, even though the name, you know, first thing that comes to everybody's mind these days, when you hear two party is you immediately think of, of politics. And, and for me, when we started the show, it was, it's literally about two parties. It's, it's you on one end and me on the other. It's a two party podcast. And a lot of people, as soon as they hear the name, they're like, ah, no, we don't want to talk politics. And I've had a few that are like, we're ready to be on the show. And then as soon as they hear the name, they're like, oh, well, no, but I can send <laughs> you somebody. And I'm like, uh, okay. And they'll send me somebody and, and they want to talk about politics. And I'm like, well, well, let's just do it. Let's just talk about politics if that's what you want to talk about. But, uh, right, well, right. Wait. Well, let's, let's, let's call this whole thing out. I actually was one of the people who said that to you. I right. said that. On Matchmaker FM, I said, "Look, I, I like what I like the idea of what you're doing, but if if the show is about politics, then I won't do it." And yeah. uh, I said, and "But I'll send I'll send you people." And then you're like, "You explained to me, and I listened to you when you explained to me what the podcast was really about." And then I'm thinking, "Well, I got to do this podcast." And then I'm thinking, <laughs> I've got like 12 people I know who would also be great for this podcast. And so that's one of those things where you know your assumptions can really bite you in the butt, and so. Yeah. Uh, but, but it does really come down to listening because when you wrote back and you said, Hey, this is what we do. And we only talk politics if the guest wants to talk politics or, or if we're talking about something in the news that relates to the guest. I'm like, sure. Because I know I have many friends who will want to talk about other things in their life, but if the conversation goes towards politics, they'll be fine with it. I'm just not one of those people because yeah. I quite frankly get, I get more politics than I ever want to get in my own life, but I don't really want to do that to other people. I'm just like, yeah, I'm, I'm one of these people. I'm out there telling people to turn the news off and watch the cartoons or the nature channel instead. But, Amen. Uh, Amen. <laughs> I got a hundred and something channels on my cable box that I'm paying $165 a month for. I'm going to get my money's worth. I'm not watching all these. Yeah. And, and worse, worse, Texas has become a quote battleground state. Unquote. Well, that means right. that both sides think they can win here. And trust me, when both sides think they can win somewhere, you're like, your TV goes to hell. That I mean, and everybody else loses. <laughs> this is true. This is so true. I mean, I have a friend in Pennsylvania, which is a, a regular battleground state. And we, yep. we were having a conversation on the phone uh, last week. And in the 
process of a 35-minute phone call, she got 12 text messages from different political candidates wanting to know if she's going to vote and who she's going to vote for. So <laughs> that's why I don't do politics. But but you're right. People, they, they're like, well, two-party, it must be politics. And then when you tell, uh, then they're like, well, I'll send you people who want to talk politics. But that isn't what you're about. It's just, I think the two-party kind of should remind people of back in the day when people had party lines. Correct. And there would be six, seven, eight people on a party line, and you basically got to use the phone when nobody else was using it. Correct. And, and I look at it like, you know, nowadays people just, you know, we're, we're so busy with our cell phones. We're so busy staring at screens nowadays. Everybody has social media. And so the way I kind of looked at it when we, when we originally were going over with, you know, a couple different names for the show, um, that, was, that was the reason I liked the name of the show is, is Two Party because you don't really have people having discussions anymore in communication. It's not the same as it used to be when you or I was growing up. Um, you know, nowadays, you know, everybody's got a phone screen stuck to their face. You can't call, if you call somebody, it's considered rude these days. You're supposed to text them first. Um, and, and back when I, you know, when I was growing up, uh, you just, you go knock at a door, you go call somebody, you call somebody. <laughs> you just don't have that, that intimate conversation anymore, which is why I liked the name originally Two Party Podcast, because it's literally about two parties having a great conversation, having a good time, getting to know each other. And that's, that's really the, the point of the show. And we do it unfiltered. Yeah. We, you know, we do it unfiltered because we want, you know, I want, I don't want to just narrow my guest base down to, uh, you know, uh, Mother Teresa and the crew. I want to be able to have, if a guy wants to come on and cuss like a sailor, I want him to come on and cuss like a sailor if that's how he feels. Because I want to get the real feel of, of having a conversation with somebody and, and get to know who they really are. I agree with you. You don't want people filtering and censoring themselves. Uh, and my general approach when I have guests is, Look, if that's the way you talk, fine. But uh, if it's not the way you talk and you're doing it for effect, then please don't come on my show. So, it's a little over the top. Yeah. 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 So, uh, but I, I like the name. I think it's one of those things that once people figure out what it is, it will be, it will definitely be a great brand. Yeah. Uh, it's just one of those things you're going to have to build up an expl explanation to people and and to me, that's where your past guests have to come into play. People that have been on the show have to show their gratitude by not only sharing their episodes, but explaining to people, look, the two-party podcast, it's not politics. You know me. You know I wouldn't do politics. Yeah. It's about two guys hanging out or a guy, and, and if it's a woman on the other side hanging out and having an authentic, uh, honest conversation that will hopefully in, inspire or educate or entertain people along the way. So. Yeah. It's on your past and future guests to help explain the brand and build it to where people don't automatically assume politics in the future. Well, that's what I keep hoping. <laughs> but uh, and, I want to rewind a little bit there, Max. I, um, you mentioned that your father uh, and you, uh, you were looking at, uh, at one point having a career in like the carnival and stuff like that. Um, yep. Tell me a little bit about your dad and the carnival life and stuff like that. Tell me a little bit about that. I'm interested. Well, we had a seven, sometimes eight ride carnival. Uh, we traveled mostly in Texas, but in the summers we would go, uh, some years we went up into Kansas and Nebraska. Some years we went into Alabama and Tennessee, tried to escape the heat of Texas and look for better work during the summer. But uh, most of the time I traveled with him because we never had enough help. And the idea was, is that if Max has to help set up and take down rides, that's fine. But if, uh, if he doesn't have to and, you know, he can ride along with dad and maybe help dad change a tire or something, then that would be better. So 
Uh, I did the bookings. I operated kids' games. I ordered stock for the food and game trailers. Uh, spent a lot of time going up and down the road in raggedy old pickup trucks, um, <laughs> listening, to, listening and singing along with country music and having great conversations with my dad, understanding the, the value of silence at sometimes, uh, yeah. you know, just, and, you know, he, I, I think that he probably, if it weren't for the carnival business, he could have been an actor. If it weren't for the carnival business, he could have probably been a, 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 he probably could have been one of the greatest self-help gurus of all time because he had a lot of, of life-learned wisdom that I was lucky enough to pick up quite a bit from him along the way. And uh, one of the things that he taught me from an early age because people knew that I was going to lose my vision was, uh, Max, don't ever be afraid to ask for help. Uh, one, because if you don't, you're going to make things harder on yourself. Things mm -hmm. are going to go badly if you don't ask for help. And and people like to help others. So that's one of the things he taught me. Um, more than once, I got to see him do his storytelling because he was a master at getting us out of traffic tickets and other penalties <laughs> from, the, from the Department of, of Public Safety or the local law enforcement. And, uh, <laughs> you know, he taught me important things like, um, like Max, don't ever, uh, don't ever, uh, argue about things until you're in the next county. You know that. <laughs> he always said, "No matter how bad the week was, Max, tell them you'll come back next year until you are out of town a ways. Then, then if they call <laughs> you at the house, you can say, no, 'No, I'm sorry, we can't do that again next year.' And, That's the best time. <laughs> you know things like, like uh, you know, but he he would uh, he would always when he got stopped, he would always tell him, 'Look, I understand you're just doing your job.'" If you have to write me a ticket or put me out of service, that's fine. I'll understand. But, hey, I'm, I'm a guy. I'm just trying to make a living. Make a living, and, yeah. Uh, that's, that's, and, and, of course, he would – whenever we got stopped, his, his South Carolina down-home southern accent got thicker. <laughs> and, and he used a lot more y'alls and uns and uh, – <laughs> and, and uh, I mean, the guy – he. I tell you, I, I, I rode up and down the road with him for 15 years, and when he died, I still couldn't tell you if he was telling me the truth or not. <laughs> You're pulling uh, your leg on some of that stuff. Oh, huh? yeah, yeah. I, I, once, I once saw him tell a state trooper that the trailer we were trying to get home had been stolen and wrecked in a lake. <laughs> you know? Got to throw, throw a few fish on there. You know, we he didn't have no fish, but I'm I wouldn't be surprised if he had thought about it. You know, <laughs> that's great. I, I I was personally with him more than once when when uh, we get, got stopped and there were other trucks also stopped. Where when we would leave, the other truck drivers and the other officers would just shake their head and wonder what the heck happened because <laughs> they were sure they were sure we weren't going nowhere. Uh, but that was the. <laughs> The value of, of good storytelling, you know? And right, right. He, all, he also used to say, you know, Max, I like having you along with me but for a couple of reasons. He would say, one, you don't have to talk all the time, which is good. He said, we like the same music. He said, that's good. He said, but the most important reason is I don't think most cops would be in a hurry to put you in jail overnight with me. <laughs> that kind of makes a little bit of a protection for you there. Yeah. Yeah, but I used to enjoy helping to helping with the steel. Um, we, oh, yeah. Yeah, we had one ride, a older roller coaster, uh, bigger than a go-gator, but nowhere near a park coaster. It, um, 
And that was one ride while we had it. I always got to help set it up and take it down because without me, it took four guys. With me, it only took three. Yeah. Because I could carry the weight of two guys on, on my side of the pieces of the roller coaster track. So that right. was one. I, I don't think people understand how hard, um, how really hard it is to, to do that, um, to, to go town to town, break those down, set them up. I mean, obviously, when you're doing it uh, for a while, you, you know, you kind of have a system and you're used to it. But I think I think people um, kind of just take take for granted when they go to like a state fair or at one of these carnivals, um, how much effort it takes to build one of these things. Right. And the, the bigger operations have large staffs. They have heavy equipment. Uh, so I think for them, it's probably easier, but for a small operation, when it, if, it, if you don't do it, it probably doesn't get done is a very hard way to make a living. Yeah. Uh, you know, setting up and take it down when stuff would break, uh, when, you know, you're trying to make opening, but the truck, but a truck is on the side of the road somewhere. Uh, some weeks, some weeks we would spend the first two or three days at a new location without water, sewer, or electric, but we still had to go through the work of, set, of getting things ready to open on. Because uh, the one thing the carnival life will teach you, especially the way I grew up in it, is that the, the people in the next town care absolutely nothing about you or what you're going through. Right. All they care about is on Thursday night, can they ride the Ferris wheel and buy a cotton candy or a funnel cake? Correct. Is, I was going to say, there better be corn dogs, funnel cakes, and cotton candy, or it's on. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And we only missed one opening in our entire history. And that was a time when one of, the, one of our relatives who was driving fell asleep and ran his personal vehicle off of a highway um, injured his wife and one of his one of his children pe eventually passed away from the accident. That was the only time we ever missed opening, and we would have we thought that they would give us the contract back for the next year, even though there was one ride still on the trailer and another big ride that was only halfway put together. But nope, nope, yeah. they wouldn't they wouldn't have it. It was like, it, and that's that's the lesson you learn. It really doesn't matter what happens between between Sunday night and Thursday night. It doesn't matter, and. Yeah. When you spend, you know, 15 years doing that every week or at least 40 to 50 weeks out of the year, mm -hmm. it really prepares you for what we're doing nowadays, man, because, it, you know, you, you get really good at finding creative solutions, at finding the positive in whatever bad has just happened to you or just plain laughing at it when nothing else works. So, mm -hmm. you know, think about being a podcaster. We were talking about before we went on about, how you were having trouble with Zoom and I've got people fixing on my house and who knows if we would get disconnected yep. or not, you know, it's just those sort of things are, you know, really helpful in the online world where things change minute to minute or day to day and stuff that worked uh, last week doesn't work anymore. I mean, think about how many bloggers five years ago made crazy money yep. because it, you know, they were in the early days of blogging and there wasn't a lot of competition yet. You know, or think about some of the podcasters that they work their butts off for a year or two or three years. And, you know, now people are having to pay to be on their shows, you know. that's yeah. So, you know, things that worked don't work. Um, some things quit working because people realized it's just, just not sustainable. Like the whole idea that you have to post a new blog post every day. I'm man, I'm glad that stupid myth went away or that <laughs> uh, the one I try to help people with. 
The one I try to help people with a lot now is this whole idea that just because you only see one face on the screen doesn't mean they're doing it by themselves, doesn't mean you're supposed to be doing it by yourself, and doesn't mean you're a failure if you're doing it by yourself and you're not financially successful yet. Yeah, you know, I think there's a lot, a lot to be said for, um, especially just in my case, uh, there's a lot to be said for um, the people that help you that, 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 you, that are not in the scene. So, so the behind the scene help, um, you know, if, if it weren't for my wife supporting what I do all the time, um, I would not be here doing this because she would send me to go find a second job or a third job. That's just how my wife is. She would say, you know, <laughs> I, get, I get this is your passion, but go out and make some more money. Um, because, you know, it, it is hard to get off the ground with a podcast. It is hard to get to a point where you're actually monetizing and making enough money to, to, to actually be able to call it a job. And a lot of people will never reach that point. And for me, for me, this all started as a hobby um, that I just enjoy doing. I, I enjoy being in the studio. I enjoy making music. I enjoy um, working on different soundtracks and stuff. It's just something I've always just got into. Um, the podcast kind of came out because, uh, as my wife says, I never shut up and I like to talk. So it's kind of a, a <laughs> gift of gab for me. Um, and I get to use my, use, uh, have a hobby and also use something I'm actually gifted at. Um, and, and I enjoy people and, and that's the other thing. Um, but, but like you just said, I mean, uh, off the screen, there's so much support, you know, if it wasn't for my wife, my son, um, just other people locally that, that have supported the show. And uh, a bunch of my friends that have really reached out and subscribed and follow and, and just kind of keep up with me, um, you know, then, then it wouldn't really be a show um, at the end of the day. Um, but, but it's interesting that, that, you know, a lot of people, you know, they just, they see the face and, and you know, being the face on the screen and, or being, the, being the, the voice on the show, there's so much more that goes into it. Um, you know, booking guests, uh, like you said earlier, sending out emails, uh, making them professional, being able to communicate on different platforms, uh, and, and being able to use, like for me with press credentials, you being able to use my press credentials to reach out to certain publicists and stuff that, that a lot of people may not have access to. Um, and, and so all of that stuff just ties together to bring together a good show. But, but at the end of the day, it's the guest. It, it, to me, it's, it's always the guest that makes the show. You know, I didn't realize this, um, but now, man, I feel, I, I, I hate to say it this way, it's going to sound egotistical, but uh, now that I realize that you have press credentials and I don't, and uh, over the years, most of the time people have said yes to me, man, I'm feeling really good about myself, man. Uh, <laughs> you know, not that I don't most of the time, but I mean, you know, when you, it's one of those things. Sometimes we have to remind ourselves just how difficult the thing we're doing is. And that's yes. not just for me because I'm blind. That's for everybody. You have to think, you, you know, because sometimes in the middle of doing the work, you know, you just don't think about it. But we have to remind ourselves. And just now, you know, I said that I'm like, well, he has press credentials. I don't. So that means that in a lot of cases, they are less likely to, uh, to listen to me. My, my emails are more likely to go in the spam folder. So that's one of those moments where instead of just, you know, talking past it, I'm like, wait a minute, that's important. I need to notice that for Max. And hopefully for the people that are listening, they'll realize, you know, Max is a pretty accomplished guy and he still took time to recognize something like that. 
you so know, I hope it, that what we just hard. did here is teaching a lesson. Yes, well, it is well, hard. And, it, and I was going to say, and it's hard even with, with or without credentials, because I, when I started this, I didn't have those credentials, you know? And so at the end of the day, with or without the credentials, but, but even with the, with the credentials, it's hard. But without the credentials just shows how much more you're working and how much harder you're working to reach people and to do these things. Because, you know, it's real simple for me to send something to a publicist and say, look, I'm with this, this network or this agency. Here's my credentials versus somebody just coming, coming and sending an email and them saying, well, you know, what are the, what's this guy's credentials, you know? Um, but, yep. but that just shows how much harder you're having to work. And even before I had my credentials, how much harder I had to work for guests. Um, right. It is difficult and, and it's yeah, hard to make those communications. Um, it, it, you know, I, I would ra much rather be able to meet people. You know, I'd much rather be able to go to an agency and talk to the publicist in person versus have to send emails sometimes, because I feel like, like, like we talked about earlier, sometimes uh, like when we initially, you, you know, you heard the name of the show and stuff, it was, it was kind of like, well, I don't want to talk politics. It's kind of one of those things. If I'm in person with somebody, I can have a personal relationship con and a conversation where we're going to understand each other by looking at each other eye to eye versus the communication of email or text never, never gets across the message you want sometimes. Right, which is why I really emphasize storytelling. Uh, I, I coach my students and my clients on the whole idea that, that hosts don't book you, your product, or your service, or your show. They book your story. So when I send my emails, I get to, the, to my story or the client's story right away. I want to yeah. hook the people that are reading that email and I, and even with the subject line, you know, when I, when I'm using email as opposed to a service like matchmaker, uh, the subject line even is going to, it's going to have something in there because I want to get right to the person's story. I want to make it hard for whoever's going through their thousand emails that day to click delete. I want them yeah. to think, well, this hard is for cool. them to miss that and one. I, yeah. Yeah, and um, here's something I've started doing in my submission forms that I'm going to I'm going to share with you, not because you need it, but because maybe it'll help your audience. Um, if you have a nickname that you're known by, or a brand name, especially when you fill out the forms, a lot of these forms, the only the only field that has a restriction on it is the email or the website. Those fields will say. Those fields will know whether or not you're actually putting in an email address or a website URL. Yeah. But rarely do the name fields know that. So what I like is if I get a submission form where it has first and last name, I'm known as the blind blogger. So my first name is the blind blogger. My last name is Maxwell Ivy. I do that all the time because I want somebody to be thinking, I don't know any blind bloggers. Is it even possible to blog as a blind person, which I still get asked that question. Yeah. And so if you have a brand name, put your brand name in there. Let them see the brand name before your name. Yeah. Because that's a great sometimes, idea. sometimes that's all it takes to slow somebody down enough to make them look at your, at your submission or your email. And, uh, e even emails from me, when I write people emails, it'll come from just ask at the blindblogger.net. But I will then put in the subject line, it'll say, the blind blogger would be an amazing guest. They, I don't know if they, if they realize it's from me or from a third, or they think it's from a third party. But, you know, I want to get that in the subject line. Because most people don't have a lot of contact with blind people. But, so, you know, for people that have a brand name, Use the brand in the forms as your name. Use it in the subject line. Use it in your email address. If your email address is still a your name at AOL or your name at Gmail, 
you need a second email address that somehow squeezes your brand name or your nickname, assuming it's a clean nickname, into the right. G, into the Gmail address. <laughs> because these are, it, you know, people when they're going through hundreds of emails, sometimes all you need to do is to slow down for a fraction of a second. Yep. If you can make them slow down, then you got a shot. So yep. that's why, like I say, when I send emails or when I send messages on systems, I always start with the story. Uh, get them to get them to want to, to hear more about the story, and then you got a chance. Even with a big agency, um, I I tell you what I find funny is when I get emails from publicists and I read their email and I'm like, this person is a professional publicist that's probably charging a lot more money than I charge people <laughs> to get them on podcasts. Yeah. And and if I didn't. You know, if and if I wasn't generally a a um, an optimistic sort of person who's always thinking that next person could be great, I would just press delete on this email and I and I get those I I'm starting to get those myself from publicists, and uh, you know just this morning I got one from somebody all they wanted to do was do a blog post and I was like, excuse me, your client's story is so good he should be on my podcast. I said. <laughs> As a matter of fact, if he wants to, we should record some music together or he should play and sing on my <laughs> podcast. You know, those, those are the kind of things most people, you know, they get the tunnel vision, they think yeah. of doing the work that they're doing, and they don't think beyond the initial need. And if, if somebody has bothered to find out anything about me or my podcast, they'll know that I love to sing. They'll know I sing on my podcast or in interviews. Uh, and, and they'll think, you know, my client is a musician, uh, you know, what can we do with that? But most people, it's just go down the list of show host names and send them the same email I sent to every other host. And sometimes they'll change the name of the show they're pitching, but a lot of times they don't even do that. So, right. you know, be, be unique, be original, be creative and tell your story, even if you don't think your story is important enough yet, because that's what's going to get you booked. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about this book you wrote. Well, it's my fourth book. It's the second in a series. The first one of the series is the Blind Bloggers New York City Adventures, How You Can Make Your Dreams Come True. And we talked a little bit about that earlier. Yep. This latest book is called The Blind Bloggers First Speaking and Signing Adventures, How You Can Conquer Your Fears. And speaking of misunderstandings. I'm having to explain to people that know that doesn't refer to sign language. It refers to book signings. <laughs> um, even a couple of reviewers have wondered about that. So, um, but it, it, it fits with this, with this uh, event. Um, the book chronicles a six week period in 2017 when I went off to do my first public speaking and book signings to promote myself as an author. Uh, it talks about uh, missed trains and canceled events and uh, running short of money, but it also talks about experiences, new people I met, new clients that hired me, having the opportunity to spend some wonderful quality time with relatives I hadn't seen in 30 years because of events falling through and just uh, the methods that I use. Each chapter has key takeaways and then at the end of the book there's like a hundred, they're, they're all put together in one place and I encourage people who read the book to to just, you know, copy or tear out that last section and carry it around with them because there's a key takeaway for just about any situation 
and that's actually my editor's idea. She suggested I start doing that in the first book and people liked it. So uh, I listened to her because she seems to know more about it than I do. Uh, yeah. I went to Philadelphia. And the, the interesting thing about this book and the story that is, is included in this book is um, I went to Philadelphia. Originally, I was going to Philadelphia to do one talk. And, you know, speaking about not knowing how big the thing you're doing is, um, I never thought about, hey, I'm a blind guy going to travel solo over 1,500 miles to go <laughs> give a talk. Right. Um, in Philadelphia, five of the other eight speakers mentioned that exactly that and how inspiring it was. And, and I'm hearing these very accomplished speakers from the microphone at the front of the room talk about me when they should be talking about themselves. And even one lady that talked um, had an amazing story, Erica Blocker. She's like found out her husband had a whole other family. And I'm like, now that woman overcame some stuff. (laughs) That woman overcame some stuff. And she's talking about me. And and she actually said before it started, she said, you know, Max, I only only agreed to talk this week because I I figured this might be my only opportunity to meet you in person. And I'm like, "You, you came here to meet me, you know, so... But That's I was amazing. originally gonna, I was originally gonna do one event and come home. But once I announced the that I was going to Philadelphia, other people offered. Um, Al Chase and his uh, fiance, I guess you call her Deb Bazile in Buffalo, said, "If you come up here, we'll help you get a book signing and do some other fun stuff." And then uh, the School for the Blind in North Carolina originally invited me. A woman I had sold a train to in in Char- in Columbia, South Carolina, originally invited me. Uh, the thing in, at North Carolina fell through because it turned out I was going to be there too close to uh, finals and the end of their semester. Uh, the thing with the woman with the horse, she was having problems with the arena that they were building. So, but I got to spend time with my, my Aunt Paula and her family in South Carolina. And, and sadly, since that trip, three of the people that I spent time with while I was there passed away. Wow. So my Aunt Frances, uh, Paula's husband, Mark Garner, and my uncle, James Vernon, all three of those have passed away since I was there. If I hadn't been there, I wouldn't have ever got to see them again. Uh, We had this amazing night where about a dozen of us sat out on Paula's back porch, and there was a guitar and singing and music, and a few beers were drank, and some some uh some food that wasn't good for anybody was eaten <laughs> that's and... that, sometimes that's what you need i i i really like i i again kind of like we discussed earlier like people just don't communicate anymore and when i hear stories like that uh it's just to me that's amazing you know people getting together a guitar some beer and just family getting together having a family meeting you know and just having a yeah. good time you know that's yeah. what life really is about yeah, and that's one of the things I was really hoping and that I would teach people from this book. And the, the uh, one of my, well, my most favorite uh, review of the book basically says that this guy has been there and done that and he knows the fears of authors. One of the things I really wanted to do was to teach people, you know, I know you're going out in the world to promote yourself. But that doesn't mean you have to schedule every minute of every day as work it doesn't mean that you can't schedule in or when things go wrong allow time in to do things that are fun distracting or maybe things that you've thought about doing but never really never really wanted to do them you know so but 
you know what you know what I'm talking about. These people that yeah. go out on these book tours and they come home, they're tired, they're cranky, they're dehydrated, they're maybe even sick. Yeah. And they're like, no way in hell am I ever doing that again. Right. And I wasn't going to be that person and I didn't want to give the impression that other people should be that person when it comes to promoting themselves. So yeah, I mean, I mean, you want to be energetic and you want you want to show that you genuinely care and that, that the you know, and, and at the same time, why not make it an experience like you? That's what you did with it. You made it an experience in, in each visit and each place you went. And that's how it should be. Yeah. But how many people are doing it that way? How many publicists are booking their clients that way? How many people are thinking that's even good for their business as a as an author or a speaker and the answer is nobody yeah yeah it's become more business than anything these days yeah and i mean you know if i wanted a job or if, you know i there i could have back before i joined up with the carnival i worked for the internal revenue service for two and a half years two of the two and a half of the most miserable years of my life because <laughs> yeah i was working in automated collections so everybody that called me had gotten a letter telling them that the irs could do all these unspeakable things to them if they didn't pay up now <laughs> yeah there's so, no friendly conversation to be had there <laughs> so, i mean there are jobs out there if i wanted to if i wanted to work at an actual job nine hours ten hours a day i could probably get one of those jobs but so if so why as a creative entrepreneur as an author and a speaker why would i want to, to basically turn my my passion into a job if i don't absolutely have to and mm -hmm. and i think that's the way it is i think most of these people believe because they've been told that when you go out on a book tour or a speaking tour you have to put your you have to put your body to a test you have to to run to scream to do pack everything you can into into every minute of every day and it all has to be related to promoting yourself um mm -hmm. and so who knows maybe the thing here is i just have a different brand than everybody else does my brand is a is a lot of my brand is about enjoying the experiences even if they weren't pleasant experiences we can always learn something from the bad days mm -hmm. and as as you know from 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 checking me out I'm not afraid to talk about the bad days and to tell people what I learned from them and that there've been a couple of occasions where even I was knocked on my ass and stayed there for a few days or a few weeks before I got back up and went back to being Max again. So, yep. but maybe it's just the, you know, my general approach to life, my brand, but I really do hope that if you read that book and somebody wants to book we're getting for the purpose there we go we're getting a little bad for their blog more than people free of the book they say the part okay well crap there we go. um it's starting to come well, back we're a little to the bit. end of the okay is that better that's a little better well, shoot there well, we go. i didn't really do i didn't really do anything then so yeah, it's. I think it's between the two of us. I think one or the other is just getting a bad signal. Well, let's uh, let's do this real quick, um, Max. Let's go ahead and um, I'm going to give you an opportunity to kind of tell us where we can find you. Tell us some of your, your website, um, where where people, where the audience can find you um, for the blogger, um, theblindblogger.net, and uh, just the different areas where people can find you, find your book, and then uh, let's leave it at that. Hit all it right. Up. Okay. So yeah, you can go to theblindblogger.net. You can also send me an email to just ask at theblindblogger.net. Um, 
most everything I do always goes back to the website because I believe that I want to funnel people to my my real estate instead of sending them somewhere else. But social media links are on there. People can also uh, listen to the blind blogger on Alexa or Google. They can also say, Alexa, play What's Your Excuse? And they can listen to the podcast. Uh, if they think that they have a great story and they want to be on the show, just click the contact form or the email link I just mentioned. I'm also on Nob, on Roku, on Knob TV, K-N-O-B-TV for people who have Roku. Um, the books, of course, you can find me on Amazon. And one of the great things about the my two latest titles is if, if you put the blind blogger into the search engine, on, or search engine on Amazon, you will find me. I wish I'd have been smart enough to add that to my previ- my first two book titles because right. that would have really been helpful. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, over on Amazon, look for the blind blogger. And uh, I'm trying to think if there's anything. Okay. And then as far as, as, far as me goes, um, I'm available to coach people on overcoming their excuses or on asking for what they want and need. Uh, I do public speaking so I can share my stories either virtually in, or in person. Uh, the books I've already talked about, I offer a I offer online training to be a podcast guest or to uh, book you on podcasts and radio shows so you can share your story and, and promote your brand. And then, uh, you know, finally, the main thing I want people to know is I honestly believe this, that anytime I connect with somebody new, it is an opportunity to make a new friend and to see what life will bring for both of us. So you do not have to want to book me, hire me, or buy something from me in order to talk to me. And I mean that sincerely. I also want to make sure that I don't forget to tell you guys, look, um, without people like uh, Dean and Two Parties Podcast, there wouldn't be a The Blind Blogger. There wouldn't be a What's Your Excuse. Um, I would have made some progress, but nowhere near as much as I have. And so be sure and support people like Dean. Uh, Dean, I really appreciate you and this opportunity because sincerely, uh, I couldn't have become who I am without the opportunities that I get from people like you. Hey, I, I, I appreciate having you on Max and, um, I, I'm a little short on time today and I know we're having some connection issues between the two of us. Um, but I, I am, am willing in the future, I want to get you booked again so we could spend a little more time. Just like you just said, um, I look at every guest uh, interview as not just having a guest on my show to promote the show uh, or to promote the guest. I look at it as building a relationship and building a friendship. And, uh, you know, I want to get you back on the show so we can dig a little deeper into Max and who he is. Um, I, I really enjoyed this interview and I, I hope to get you back on here soon. Well, I'll tell you the same thing I tell you when people ask me if I'll sing. Don't ever ask a po- don't ever ask a singer if they'll sing. Don't ever ask a podcast guest if they'll come back on your show or not. <laughs> well, you have a great day. Uh, you too. I, I'll reach out to you again. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you.